Welcome to The Author's Tale, a series of casual conversations with prominent New Zealand authors presented by me, Stephanie Fruin. This is part three of children's book writer and illustrator Gavin Bishop's tale. If you haven't heard parts one and two, I recommend you pause and go back and listen to those first, especially if you are a new children's book writer or illustrator or would like to be, as he provides a lot of useful information for you. In this part, we hear about his first efforts as a writer and about his teaching career. He offers amazing insight into the difficulties of publishing and what he has learnt along the way. Um, so anyway, while I was, I was advising and I was travelling around, and one day I happened to be in Dunedin at, at Queen's High School, girls' high school down there, mm. and the art teacher, her name was Dot Storb, she said to me, just out of the blue, I was just standing there talking, she said, have you ever thought of writing a book for children? I said, why do, how come you say that? Yeah. And she said, oh, I just thought you might, because she said, uh, my son works for Oxford University Press in Wellington, and they are just about to set up a publishing of books for children they want they want to publish more books yeah. for children and they said it's part she said it's partly because this young woman has just returned from England and she worked at Oxford for 10 years mm -hmm. she's come back to New Zealand and she has got a fire in her belly and she wants to get New Zealand up and running brilliant um, publishing books by New Zealanders for New Zealanders we love her we loved her mm. And I said, how did you know that I was interested in children's books? Because I used to collect children's books. Ah. Whitgalls used to have a big sale every year, and I used mm. to go there and buy all their books. That I, just anything yeah. that caught my eye, I'd buy it. I was just attracted to the children's picture books. books and particular. had you, prior to this, illustrated any children's no. books? Oh. Nothing. Wow. Nothing. Nothing. Okay. I wanted to be... I thought I wanted to be an artist for adults. Yeah. Painting abstract paintings and things Just like that. Just put them on the wall. Yeah. Hmm. And I thought that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And when she said that, I suddenly thought, well, I've actually been buying children's books. Um, but this is before we had kids of our own. Yeah. I used to go to... It's partly because of the influence of um, uh, Russell Clark, Because mm. Russell Clark used to get us to illustrate things. And he introduced me to people like James Thurber and people like that, you know, that I'd never come across before. Yeah, yeah. And he'd say, have you ever read James Thurber? And I said, no. And he would go and get it out of the library or something and bring it the next day and say... And explain to us, who is James Thurber? James Thurber was a very, very popular um, writer, illustrator in the... 30s, mm -hmm. 40s, something like that. Yeah, he was big yeah. at his time in the time. Mm -hmm. he, he he was too even in the 60s. He was he may have been dead by then. Mm -hmm. um, he used to draw kind of wacky, slightly surreal illustrations, um, and 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 kind of weird. So the slightly surreal, yeah. slightly fantasy-like. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. James Thurber. Mm. Very, very big. I think he was American. Yeah. 
And I think he may have used, I think he might have worked for the New Yorker magazine and stuff like ah, that, you know, yeah. those sorts of things. So he was, he was bigger than yeah. stuff. James Thurber was born in Ohio in 1894 and became a well-known author, cartoonist, playwright, journalist and is considered one of the foremost American humorists of the 20th century. His drawings, more often than not, featured dogs and family life. Anyway, he, so um, th- this woman, Dot Storp, said to me, her son was working for, for OUP and she said, they're looking for material. She said, they want books about New Zealand for children. She said, why don't you write something? I thought, whoa. It was just like the sky opening up. Totally. <laughs> a big finger coming down and tapping me on yeah. the shoulder saying, go and do it. What a huge moment. Go. It was huge, absolutely mm. huge. And I sort of realized it was at the time. Well, that day I, I was in Dunedin, I had, and I drove south to Lumsden. And so uh, that night I stayed at the Lumsden pub, went down, I had a meal in the um, dining room, yeah. roast mutton, proper <laughs> Southland <laughs> dinner. Yeah, absolutely. And then I went back up to my room and I had this old exercise book. And I thought, now what can I write about? That's very, very New Zealandy. Yeah. Um, so I started writing <coughs> a book about a sheep because I thought, well, there are a hell of a lot of sheep in New Zealand. Yeah. And it's a good South Island sort of mm-hmm. um, character. Mm. And so I started writing this book about sheep, and then I thought, I wonder what I'll call her. So I remembered when I was a child. The sheep that ran around in Kingston would always be covered with bitty bitties. <laughs> so I called I called the sheep Bitty Bitty. Yeah. And <clears throat> there she is. I wrote on and on and on, and I included in the story yeah. uh, a roast mutton dinner as uh-huh. a kind of horror story for her. She looked <laughs> through the window and they were eating roast mutton. Um. And so I wrote and wrote and wrote, and I had no idea what I was doing. Absolutely nothing. I didn't know how to write to the point. Um, I I, I had no idea. So anyway, I came home with this story, sort of. I wasn't quite sure how it was going to end. Didn't know how to end it. Um, And I thought, well, I have a few weeks at home then, so I did some illustrations. And again, as we were talking about earlier, I did not understand uh, how to prepare a picture for reproduction in a book. I don't understand that you needed to do them all to a particular ratio or else the line width changes, you see. So if you did a drawing this big and yeah. blew it up to something this yeah. big, and then you did a drawing this big and blew it up to something like that, the line thickness would be different in the drawings to see through. The, I don't yeah. know. Because oh. we didn't actually, we weren't taught any of that when no. I was at art school. Because um, we, were, we, were, we were there to do fine art. Yeah. Yeah. We weren't there to learn about 
the practicalities. Even though Russell Clark was there and told us about illustration, he never actually ever got around to saying, this is how you prepare pictures for yeah. an illustrated book. So I, then <clears throat> I thought, well, I'm not quite sure what else to do. So I mentioned to Vivian, I said, would you mind reading my story and seeing what you think of it? And she said, oh, okay. So she read it through and I said, what do you think? She said, well, do you know what it's really about? And I said, no. She said, it's about this stupid woman being taken advantage of by a whole lot of wise guys. I said, it's not. It's about a sheep. She said, no. That's basically what it's about. I thought, maybe she's right. So I went through the whole book and I changed most of the characters into females. Ah. So Stan, the Kia, became Stella. And it changed the emphasis. Yeah. And she was right. I had just instinctively written yeah. this kind of stupid story. I, I, hadn't, I hadn't really got the hang of what I was doing, you know? Yeah. I thought, well, she is this silly, she is this young sheep and she doesn't like her life and she runs away from the high country uh, area where she lives looking for something better and she meets these various characters mm. along the way mm. and I had things like Pinocchio and things like that in the back of my mind because yeah. they'd been big influence on me yeah. when I was a kid so I was using those as role models mm. those sorts of stories mm. and a lot of those stories when you read them now they are dated absolutely yeah. they're very very dated mm. and y you have to recognize that mm. you have to acknowledge the fact that people's views of what a story should do for kids has changed yes and position of women mm. has changed and um, so in in the end I thought well I'm not sure what else to do now so I've, no, no computers in these days no. this is like 78 no computers nothing so I got a friend of mine who was a typist um, I said, would you mind typing up my story? And she said, no, I can do that. And I said, you have to double space it. I've learned that you had to double yeah. space it. She said, okay. So she, she typed it up, and then a few days later, she handed it back to me, sheets of paper all typed up. And she said, you might find it's a bit shorter than it was. And I said, how come? She said, well, there are a few things that I didn't like very much, so I left those out. <laughs> I said, great. That's what I need. An editor? I, your first editor? My first editor. <laughs> Well, actually, Vivian was your first editor. Vivian was her first, <laughs> and Biddy was my second. Yeah. <clears throat> well, then eventually I bundled the whole lot up. There was no, I didn't have a photocopy or anything. I no. didn't photocopy my artwork. I bundled up, sent all the artwork off that I'd produced yeah. with the story, sent it off to Oxford University Press uh, in Wellington, and there was a woman there called Wendy Harricks. She was my age. She was the one that had come back from, from yeah. Oxford. And when they read it, I sent it up and they, I sent it like early in the week and on the following Saturday I got a letter back in the letterbox saying we think this has got potential, we think it is, could be great. They said but it needs a hell of a lot of work. I said okay, I'm prepared to do that. So Eric <coughs> used to come down to Christchurch quite often to see other writers. And she would often come and see me, and we'd spend two or three hours on this, yeah. on this thing. On this. Yeah. And she would say to me, now look, before I come next time, I want you to take these pages, 
and reduce them by half. So don't chop any of the information out no. or any of the story, but get rid of the words that aren't needed. Yeah. And looking back now, I can see that that was my training mm. to write mm. succinctly and to the point yeah. and keep the story moving. Yeah. You were learning the craft <clears throat> on the job. Yeah. So we spent something like two years on that book. Wow. And, and the funny thing is, I had no idea that this was your first book. Mm. And when I was in the library finding some of your books to have a good look at, um, and I found this, and the thing I loved, I, I love the name because Biddy, um, coming from you know, the yeah. rural area, Biddy Bids were just an absolute nightmare. Yeah, terrible. And I've got a dog with long hair, yes. still a nightmare. Yes. Um, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, clearly it must be a story about something not going quite right, but I don't know. Um, and of course, this version is a Māori. Did you do the original in Māori or in English? No, no, no. Māori's much later. Much later. Yeah. So your original, but I'm assuming the illustrations are... Oh, exactly are, the same. <clears throat> but so, of course, I am not at all remotely fluent in Māori, so I have not... I. We had to look at the story purely through the Perfect. illustrations, yeah. um, which I thought is what a lot of children do, of yeah. course, as yeah. well. They don't, they can't read the words; they look at the pictures. Um, but I loved the illustrations, and I can just tell by the look on the sheep's faces, you know, what they're thinking of her or whatever, and the, you know, the smug look on that chap there. <laughs> or, yes. Now I know it's a woman, is it? It's now Stella. It's Stella. It's Stella. The, of course I can see that it's Stella in the, in the, in the text there. Um, but well, what a great... I can't believe that this was your first book. I'd like to rewrite it now though. Ah, well maybe you should. No. But please don't get rid of the leg and mutton arms. No. You know, that's that, fabulous. That was an actual building out at Sheffield. Wow. That used to be there. You could see it on the side of the road. Over, yeah. It was over by the railway lines. Uh -huh. And I took a photograph of it one day yeah. and just drew that from the photograph. You see, Russell Clark taught you well. Take your pictures and yeah. use them for reference. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It's great. So it, 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 it's basically, mm. a, it, it was actually mm. almost an autobiography because at that time I had had enough of teaching. Yeah. I was looking for a way out, looking yeah. for something else. I've been at Linwood High School yeah. for a long time, yeah. and I was just finding it overwhelming yeah. because it was becoming more and more difficult. Yeah. When yeah. I first started, it was very much a very middle-class yeah. school, very nicely uh, run and attended by very well-balanced um, children yeah. from ordinary homes yeah but by the time i left 20 mm. years later mm. the place had become incredibly mm. difficult mm. we had more and more difficult classes yeah problem children mm. all that's all yeah. those things and as a teacher yeah i there were classes mm. that i had that would come into the art room they were so difficult i would just get through that hour yeah and then i'd spend the whole of my lunchtime cleaning the room up after wow. the mess they'd left. Wow. Because they were just out of control. And I yeah. couldn't control no, them. No. I didn't know what to do about it. And I think... Hated it. So you, you yeah. taught at a time, and I think <clears> most, most teachers, I mean, they're always teaching at a time, when social change is absolutely... It, it, schools are such a good illustration of social change. Yes. 
and absolutely um, and you were there long enough to see it yes to really see the shift yeah and um and yeah. economics and in social values yeah. and it was reflected in who came through the door exactly and the trail of destruction they left behind that's right and it is such a shame isn't it that an art class of all places should be one of those environments that allows kids from yeah. any walk of life that's right to come in and just be that's right and it's such a shame that clearly just the environment at the time didn't for some of them didn't allow no. them to do that no. which is a real shame and as a teacher you know you're not trained to be a social worker or no, no. a psychoanalyst that's not what you're there for. And I think I, no, people I today still put that pressure on teachers to be that. And that's not what they're there for. No. And this awful demand on you to mm. control these difficult children. Yeah. And I found that it just, you know, I would, I would just that's pray depressing. that it would come in and just sit down yeah. and listen to what I had to say yeah. and then go about doing their work. Mm. But they didn't. No. It was it was just hideous. It would be interesting though to know um, if there are any in those groups that did come through at that time. If there was one or however or more children students who came through and who still remember their art class with Mr. Bishop. People do tell me that yeah, they had that, that you yeah, had an impact. Yeah. And um, I'm sure that there'll be there are, kids that there are, that, you know, there are. And which is good. And you would know some of the people yep. um, that I have taught yep. that were at school at the time, you know, like Peter, Peter Elliott, actor, Peter Elliott, um, April Ihimaira, yes. um, um, who else can I think of? Um, Oh, well, there's sort of yeah. some of the people that um, that I can remember mm. who were... I mean, it wasn't all bad. I'm just no. saying that the, yeah. the, the difficult kids yeah. blighted the yeah. job. Yeah. Put a, put a there were days when I thought, I don't want to go to school today because no. I've got so-and-so period mm. three and I've got so-and-so period four. And, and, mm. and there were, then there were other days when it was just a dream. A dream, yeah. It was, I just loved yeah. teaching it. Yeah. Well, anyway, after... Uh, I was 20 years at Linwood, yeah, yeah. and then the, an art job to, uh, cropped up at Christ College. Mm. And um, I can remember thinking, I wonder if I should, do I really want to go there? You know, because mm. I had all these, I thought, all these misconceptions about the place. Yeah. And Vivian said to me, well, look, you can't keep complaining about teaching if mm. you don't go and get yourself another job or try something mm. else. I was going to say, because every school is different as well. Yes. So. And there are very few art jobs, yeah. you see. There's only like one, perhaps yeah. in each each school, perhaps yeah. two. Yeah, and if but it's a all. good job, you stick with it. You Don't do. Leave. You yeah. do. So there weren't very many, there were very few other options. And so anyway, I applied for the job and I got it. And um, the deputy head at Linwood called me down to his office one day and sort of warned me that I might find it difficult mm. going to Christ College mm. because the boys there uh, might sense that I've come from a, a co-ed uh, school in a difficult part of Christchurch yeah. and they might make it difficult for me. I thought, hmm, okay. 
Well, it couldn't have been further from the truth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a wonderful time. I was yeah. there for 10 years. Yeah. It was a great time. Fabulous. Loved it. Kids were lovely. Kids were not... And it paid the bills. Paid the bills. And allowed you to continue being a writer and illustrator, yeah, I'm assuming. It did. So it did. the whole time you were teaching... Yeah, I was this, also doing this. You were doing this as well. Yeah. So how many, over that 10-year period, how many, how many books did you manage to... to I started... To well, I was... At, I, was te- I taught... I taught for 30 years, yeah. and for probably 10 of those, oh, it might have been 20 of those, 20 of those years I was doing, uh, I was yeah. doing these books. Wow. And then, I haven't taught for 20 years now, so that's yeah. 40, I've been doing these for 40 years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, while, also during that 10 year period, was there a time then that someone noticed you and your illustrations and thought that they want you to illustrate their book? Or um, did that come later? I was very lucky because my books took off. Yeah. From the first book. Mrs. McGinty and the Bizarre Plant was book of the year. That was my first published book. Yes. Because this thing had problems. Because in those days... Um, well, this was, your, this was your I'm learning how to be a children's writer book. Was. But also, in those days... Because picture books in New Zealand were very, there weren't very many being published. No. Like two, three a year. Yeah. Maybe more, I don't know. But it was very, very few. And so to publish a big, full-colour picture book like that, the publishers in New Zealand relied on support from um, international publishers as well. So Wendy Harricks, who was the editor of that book, and yeah. she and I, you know, sweated blood and tears yes. over that. Yeah. She took it with her to Bologna Book Fair. Mm. She showed it to other publishers from people from Scotland, from France, from England, yeah. from America, all sorts of places. And they all said, no, no, I'm sorry, it's, it's very nice, but we can't really relate to a book about a sheep having an adventure. Yeah. Because sheep in our country are just sort of like yeah. big ning-nongs. They don't do anything. <laughs> and uh, so she said, well, okay. So she came back here. This is why it took so long. She came back and she said, look, I can't find a publisher for it. I can't. She said, we can't go ahead and publish it in New Zealand unless we find a co-publisher mm. overseas. I said, what about Australia? She said, I've tried them. She said, they don't want it either. I said, all right. I said, what if I took lower royalties yeah. for the book? What yeah. if I chop my royalties yeah. down so I, you don't have to pay me as much? Yeah. And she said, well, first of all, I'll, I said, but then I, before you do that, why don't you go and see the wool board and see if they'll sponsor it? Ah. So she made an appointment in Wellington, went to see the people on the wool board, and they said, we can't be associated with a book called Bitty Bitty. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they regret that now. So, mm. she says, that's when she said, I'm sorry. She, but in the meantime, I had done Mrs. McGinty and the Bizarre Plant. Yes. Because I'd learned so much by doing that book, yeah. Mrs. McGinty and the Bizarre Plant went ahead like that. Yeah. I knew to keep the text simple and succinct, yeah. and I knew how to design the picture so they're all to the right ratio. Yeah. The whole thing. It, yeah. 
And again, I deliberately set it here in New Zealand. I set it yeah. down in Christchurch, down Linwood. Yeah. Um, and so that was that was steaming ahead, ready to be published. And it went ahead, and it got published because they found Australia wanted it, America wanted yeah. it, various other people yeah. wanted it as well. So yeah. it went ahead and was published, and it did very very well. And um, so in the end, I said. Biddy Biddy, I still like to see Biddy Biddy um, published. And so while I was working on Mrs. McGinty and the Bazaar Plant, I actually drew the interior of Mrs. McGinty's kitchen and I put a calendar on the wall with Biddy Biddy on it. Brilliant. Thinking, well, Biddy Biddy's going to be published in some way or another. So Brilliant. she was published in Mrs. McGinty first. Yeah. And then eventually, uh, Wendy Herrick said to me, look, um, and that's what I said, look, how about cutting down my royalties? So she said, okay. She said, I think we could make it work. We chopped your royalties by half. Mm. I said, okay, that's fine. So they printed the book and it sold out within a few months. They had to reprint before Christmas. It came out in August. It sold out before Christmas. They had to then reprint it. And I think, I think it's still in print. I think it's been, it's been printed Brilliant. ever since. What I think is... Inter a couple of things is that when I couldn't get a, t a hold of a copy of Mrs. McGinty the Bar Bizarre Plant, oh. so I watched you do your reading of it online. Yeah. On I think it's the Christchurch Libraries. Oh, yeah, it's down in the. Yeah, yeah. it's down in the. Yeah. So I the... watched you read it and on it, and while you do the reading of it, up that come the, the pictures. Like, up come the pictures and the text. Yeah. So that was really neat. And what I thought was interesting, and you probably it was an unconscious thing, I would imagine, because you set it in an area. That you knew, yeah. Um, the Edmonds um, Gardens, where yes. they um, where they used to have the flower big factory, yeah. factory. Yeah. Um, but what I thought was interesting is it had shorter eyes in it, and I think the first time I see shorter eyes is it's back to front because you're seeing it from the That's back right. from the back side. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. Shorter rise. Is that a metaphor for the plant? Shorter rise, and also Mrs. McGinty. She's going to rise from yeah. the ashes of her rather horrid existence. Um, whether that was intentional or not, I have no idea, but I thought that was quite a nice uh, kind of yeah. thing. Um, but also what, it, what strikes me hearing you talk about this process is that, and this is something I just gathered, I really um, got an inclination of when you spoke at the Heritage Awards last year, and that is that you've always firmly had, right from the minute you started doing this, yeah. I don't want to use the word business head on, but marketing head on, um, that you realised there was more than one way to skin a cat when it came to getting your book yeah. published and that you had to be flexible with your approach yeah. Yeah. Um, to get it out there. And so you, yeah, to re reduce your royalties, you learnt the, the, the craft yeah. with along with, with Wendy yeah. helping you reduce your royalties um, you had learnt when it came to Mrs McGinty where to place the pictures um, and I think also you putting in bitty bitty on the calendar in that illustration yeah. um, in a way is a sending like a little subconscious message to those reading that one what's bitty bitty What's Biddy Biddy? Yeah. And then when Biddy Biddy comes out, there's a connection yeah. for all those people who have read Biddy Biddy. Oh, read Mrs. McGinty in the Bizarre Plant. Yeah, yeah. Biddy Biddy. Oh, we've got to have this next book because it's Biddy Biddy and that's in Mrs. McGinty. Whether, yeah. that's a, a, whether that actually happened I or might, not, I don't actually know. I might have a copy here. I but, um, 
you do strike me as someone who you're not just writing a book in the hope it gets published and you want everyone else to do all the work for you to get it there that you've done a lot of the legwork and well, you've been prepared to do the legwork to get your book on the shelf let's have a look look at this <laughs> there she is there is bitty bitty so there's the sheep yeah. on the calendar peeking out from behind a bush yeah that particular bush is that one with the furry leaves and it's it on the front cover oh there she is indeed yeah the very front cover of Biddy it's a lamb's ear it's a lamb's ear we're going to end this episode of gavin bishop's tale but not to worry i'll be back with another episode where he talks about his exploration of his heritage and the sense of having a hand gently guide him towards the discovery of his maori heritage you can find out more about Gavin Bishop from his website, gavinbishop.com. A link is provided on the podcast webpage. Thank you for listening to The Author's Tale. Don't forget to subscribe for future episodes and also to rate, review and share the link. The Author's Tale is produced and presented by me, Stephanie Fruin. It's engineered at Plains FM and it's made with assistance from the Christchurch City Council and Creative Community Scheme.